he looks really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. First, with the Philadelphia Eagles 16-15 victory over the Chicago Bears, the Eagles entered last weekend as the longest odds to win. They were the biggest underdogs of the wildcard round, and once we talk about the upcoming matchups this weekend, they're still the biggest uh, underdog going up against the Saints. But first to this game against the Bears, I'm sure everybody in the region either saw the game or has heard about it by now. Uh, But Jake, we'll start with your reactions to it, then I'll give my reaction, then we'll kind of dive into the game from there. They won in true Eagles fashion. They didn't play a great game, and it came down to uh, a half stroke of luck, half stroke of the pointer finger, and there it is. There's the win. Um, I wouldn't be devastated if I'm a Chicago fan, and I wouldn't be excited if I was an Eagles fan based on how that game went. But all in all, you look at it, Eagles are playing this weekend, and the Bears aren't. As an Eagles fan, I'm so excited about that, though, because they're able to pull off that improbable ending. It it really comes back to the magic of Nick Foles. He's able to do it again. Obviously, the headlines and what everybody discusses out of that game first is the quote-unquote double doink, the missed kick by Cody Parkey. But it covers up a 12-play, 60-yard drive by Nick Foles with 448 left on the clock. That came down to a fourth and goal play from the two-yard line, and they pull it off. The little out route to Golden Tate, that play's been broken down uh, many different places very well. Tate kind of peeks his way in back to Foles, able to get some separation from the slot corner just enough, and Foles sidearms it past Khalil Mack and gets it to him in the right spot. That was the season right there. They got a drive for the season, despite playing very poorly, I thought, in the third quarter. They were probably the better team in the first half, though they trailed 6-3. to three. Turnovers were a part of it. They had two interceptions in the first half. Plus, uh, they you know they just didn't really finish off drives in that first half. Second half, they were the, the worst team. Mitchell Trubisky showed up. He had a very nice game, one of his best this season in his second year. But Nick Foles able to get that drive going and finish it off like that. It was uh, so improbable. And then still Chicago gets the ball back with less than a minute to go. Trubisky, as I mentioned, makes a really nice throw to Allen Robinson over Avante Maddox. He continued to have a good game in the second half, and they have a 43-yard field goal to win it, but give the Eagles credit. They blocked it. They got just enough on the ball to tip it, and they move on to New Orleans. But the the way that Nick Foles has played, like even in this game, is not a great game from him, two interceptions, but in the biggest moments, this guy continues to come up clutch. I think that, especially with the kick, it's important for you to look at it from three different perspectives. The first is that are you a Chicago Bears fan? If yes, continue reading this list. The second thing is, are you a kicker? If no, maybe you should rethink it. If you're getting mad at him, I know some brewery 
brewery in Chicago made the statement that if you can kick a 43-yard field goal, we'll give you a free drink. That was the deal that they made. And the third thing is that do you recognize that the state of the game was all because of Cody Parkey? That he was the reason they Sport, were there. But 12 of their 15 12 points. 12 of their 15 points. He had three field, had four field goals. Uh, oh, no, he, was, he had three field goals. And then uh, Allen Robinson had the touchdown in the corner. So he had three of their field goals. Plus the extra Plus points. the extra point. And if you can finally see that Cody Parkey was the reason they were there, it hurts more that he misses it, but it's not as frustrating. And if you once you get that, I think that's where all this buzz is coming from. And it got tipped, too. Yeah. It got tipped. That makes you feel a little bit better. And it, uh, from an Eagles perspective, it's not just, oh, they got lucky on that yeah, last play. They made it. a play to win the game, and it just got enough of the ball to derail it ever so slightly to hit that left upright at the right angle that it bounces and hits the crossbar at the right angle to fall out of the end zone. And it didn't even hit the crossbar and fall backwards through the uprights. It hit the crossbar and fell forwards. When you're first watching that, my first reaction, I kind of thought it hit the left upright and fell in based on kind of the trajectory of the ball, but it comes out of the end zone and then you can see the officials signal that it was missed. I do understand, however, from the Bears' perspective, the growing frustration with Cody Parkey from the season into Six this game. post hits. Right. It's crazy. You went through a game where he hit the post four times, and the team stuck with him. So I understand from that perspective, if you watched 16 games of this and you said, I can't believe our season came down to Cody Parkey, who maybe could have been replaced by somebody. I understand that. I don't understand how volatile you would be. I mean, this is just a person. It's a football game. Some people take it to the extreme online. I think for the average Bears fan, it's just, are you kidding me? Cody Parkey, 76% on the season, and he goes 3 of 4. Like, that's that's just the way our season ends. Uh, but there's there's a lot for that team to still build on and be excited about moving forward. And I think that even if they had won this game, they would have good chances moving forward. But by no means did this somehow knock them out from being the favorite in the tournament. They still had a long road to make it to the Super Bowl and eventually win the Super Bowl. I still think it was a team coming into this postseason that needed to improve a little bit more offensively if they wanted to beat the Saints or the Chiefs, some of these teams that we talk about. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Let's go to game number two, kind of working backwards through the weekend. The Chargers defeat the Ravens 23-17, to dominated Baltimore in the first half, The Ravens able to get a little something going through the air in the second half to make it interesting, to make it close. But ultimately, this was a game that the Chargers took control of early and dominated. The narrative of NFL coaches changing their game plan the the day before a postseason game is ridiculous. You are a team with one of the best rushing attacks in football, and you go into San Diego— well, you, sorry, take San Diego. Los Angeles. Or, oof, Los <laughs> Angeles. Take the Chargers. And you turn to Lamar Jackson and say, you know what? We're just going to have you throw the ball. You're not going to run it anymore. You're going to throw the ball. What are you thinking? You have a running attack. You got there for a running attack. Lamar Jackson finished 6-1 in his starts because he has a running attack. In the words of Sandra Bullock in the movie The Blind Side, Run the dang ball. Just run it. Give it to Lamar Jackson. It was ridiculous that they even thought about throwing it, and frankly, they deserve to take this loss. Well, what what do you do then when you fall behind 12 nothing in the it. first half? You I get it. I get plan. it's a clock issue, 
But you got there to run. You have Lamar Jackson to run. Or my second option, put in Joe Flacco. Yeah, that was the chorus online throughout that game, right? Is where's Joe Flacco? Oh, you got a Super Bowl MVP on your bench. I don't think it's that easy. Those to are the say. same people that are saying get Joe Flacco off the field five or six weeks ago. Yeah, like I don't think you remove your starting quarterback from a playoff game. And like you said, running the football and the read option attack with Lamar Jackson is what got the Ravens to the point they were last weekend. I will d- give credit, however, to the approach from the Chargers. Two weeks ago, the Chargers were dominated by that rushing attack. They didn't see it coming, and they adjusted to that. They put seven defensive backs on the field primarily. And the idea behind that was to match Baltimore's speed with their speed. And you can't always do that because the other team has size and strength if you're all speed. But the Chargers have so many guys who are versatile defenders. Think about a Derwin James who could come down from safety and basically play linebacker that they were able to do that, that they had enough guys who were quick defensive backs who are sure tacklers and could fight through big-time blocks. And that was something that Baltimore hadn't seen yet this season. Maybe they abandoned the run a little bit too early. Maybe they should have made better adjustments at halftime to what they saw in the first half. But I will give the Chargers' defense a lot of credit for doing something that nobody else had done this season. And that was the first time that Lamar Jackson had to face a team for the second time. And we see the types of adjustments that teams have to make against him to counter that look, which most teams don't see. You don't see other teams' quarterbacks really ever running 15, 20 times a game like Jackson had during the regular season. So now the Bears have a question. Two questions, actually. The first is their head coach. They are 99% Ravens? sure. Yeah. Ravens. You said uh, Bears. Sorry. Oh, no. Just clarifying. Ravens, 99% sure Harbaugh comes back. Yep. They've said as much. The second is Joe Flacco because it's pretty much said and done that Lamar Jackson's going to be the starting quarterback and he's a franchise quarterback and we're set to go. So the Ravens need to figure out what they have to do with probably the greatest Ravens quarterback ever, period. And yep. it's weird and kind of sad to think about both from a Baltimore standpoint and a Delaware standpoint that the quarterback that we saw play is pretty much done. Sure, it comes with age, but. Joe Flacco still has a year or two in him that I think he can give you that veteran leadership year, a 3,000-yard passing season, just enough to get you wherever you need to go. And he's now on the move. I don't yeah. think they keep him. Yeah, I think they have to move him based on his salary. That's just too much to pay to a backup quarterback. And John Harbaugh pretty much said as much after the game. He said Joe Flacco, like you said, has good football left in him, and he's going to be a good quarterback Somewhere. He didn't say he's going to be a good quarterback in Baltimore. Their quarterback is definitely Lamar Jackson moving forward. I think Joe Flacco is is the, the perfect kind of bridge, if you will. If you don't necessarily have a young quarterback yet that you need to play, and you don't have another solution. If you're Jacksonville, maybe, and you think your defense has another year left in it at an elite level. Or if you're the Giants, and you think that you're not necessarily in love with Dwayne Haskins or somebody jumps up ahead of you in the draft and you can't get the quarterback of the future. Is he a better fit than Eli Manning there? Probably, in my opinion, at this point in his career. I think he'll get another chance to start. And, you know, if you're him, I think he's got a little bit of fuel, a little bit of juice after watching his team make the playoffs with him on the bench for the second half of the season. If you are a Ravens fan and you look at this whole thing in a very uh, zoom-out fashion, it was really smooth. You normally don't get this smooth transition 
between yeah, give old them, veteran. Give them both credit. Yeah, old veteran to new guy. It was a smooth transition. It helps that Joe Flacco got quote unquote injured and needed to. I, I don't doubt that he got injured, but I don't think he needed to stay out all the games that he did. Right. Uh, he got injured, but that was a good way to. Yep. Young okay, guy comes here in. Here we go. Let's, we have to play Lamar Jackson now. And Flacco plays it like a professional. He uh, understands. He was asked like. Do you think you could have done better if you played in that game? And Flacco was just like, we're not going to go there. That's a ridiculous question. I'm proud of how Lamar Jackson did. Let's go to the next game. The Dallas Cowboys defeat the Seattle Seahawks 24-22. to And this was the game, I would say, of all four that people had the most hand-rigging, the most quarter, you know, coach armchair, whatever you want to call it. People were the most upset about the Seattle Seahawks' commitment to the running game and that they felt – and I agree with this sentiment that Russell Wilson was not fully unleashed in this game. And if he had been, it was a much, it was a very winnable game for the Seattle Seahawks. What's your take on that conversation? Did Seattle, was its commitment to the running game too much? Should they have abandoned that a little bit earlier in the game and spread things out and let Russell Wilson get into attack mode? No, they needed to stay with the run. And I'm glad they did because you do what got you there. You run the football, and if you pull a bad matchup like the Dallas Cowboy run defense with Leighton Van Der Esch and Sean Lee and the whole company of the line, you still need to run the ball. It was similar to have as if, and given it wasn't a playoff game, but when the Rams played the Bears, you're not going to just say, Jared, they Goff, lost. throw it. Right, It's it's but it's the same thing, that they ran the ball, and they didn't, they lost. Here, Seattle needed to run the ball, they did, and they lost. It also... Wasn't very good game planning by the Seattle defense. I thought Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott kind of had a lot more time to figure out what they wanted to do than most teams uh, because the pass rush wasn't there. No real presence of mind from any Seattle defenders to maybe key in on Ezekiel Elliott. It kind of looks like they are seeing him for the first time. But I'm happy that they stuck with the run, and I think in the whole long haul that that was the right call. I disagree. I respectfully disagree. I know it got them there, but I think based on the matchup and the fact that you do have Russell Wilson, that would be a time to adjust. I mean, Leighton Vander Esch, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, that's really, they've probably the best, I guess the Bears would have the best front seven, but maybe the second best of, of these NFC teams. And I really thought that Russell Wilson two weeks ago in the Chiefs game made some amazing throws. He made some nice throws in this game against the Cowboys. I would have been interested to see if they went into that final drive and said, you know what, we're putting three or four receivers on the field. We're going to spread things out. Let Russell Wilson call the plays at the line of scrimmage just because Dallas showed that they could stop the run. And there wasn't anything inventive about the Seattle running game that gave them an edge. There was no misdirection. There was nothing of that nature. But to your second point, I really thought that the Seattle defense wore out by the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, Zika Elliott completely just wore them down, and that was maybe even a worse matchup for Seattle. And you would think coming into the game, Bobby Wagner, some of the guys they have on the defensive line, that they might match up better there. But I think that's in part where Dallas also won this game too. The uh, remedy to all of this is just look at the playbooks. Read the playbooks and game plan better because now Dallas needs to go and play the Rams, which is basically going to be seeing – Two clones play against each other. Workhorse running backs. Mobile, decent arm wide receivers. Uh, mobile, decent arm quarterbacks with one dynamic wide receiver and great guys surrounding them. Good defenses. Pretty good secondaries. It's 
they're two same team. It's going to be the same team playing each other, yeah. and you need to find the differences. I think slight edge to the Rams passing, not maybe more than slight edge. I think edge to the Rams passing attack, edge to the Cowboys defensive front seven. You know, they have Aaron Donald there with the Rams, but they don't have those guys in space like Van Der Esch and Smith. Yeah, Goff's probably a little bit better than Prescott. The Rams have home field advantage, but they kind of stumbled into a few of the games at that late part of the season. So can they adjust to what teams saw from them in weeks 15 and onward? Last game of the weekend, you're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD, breaking down the four wildcard matchups from last weekend. We go all the way back to Saturday afternoon, and the Indianapolis Colts continue their winning ways with a 21-7 victory over the Houston Texans. Both of us picked the Colts in this game, and now all of a sudden they kind of feel like America's pick. It feels like a team that everybody kind of woke up to, and now a lot of people have them advancing far. They'll have a tough matchup next weekend with the Kansas City Chiefs, but to this game, they jump out to the three-touchdown lead. The offense slows down a bit in the second half, but really Houston had no answers for the Colts on both offense and defense. They are the most confident team in the playoffs right now, led by the most confident quarterback. It's really great to watch this happen. I said seven, eight weeks ago that the Colts are going to be one of the best teams in the playoffs, and they are. But it all comes down to Andrew Luck and Coach Reich. Because Andrew Luck, who is going to be the comeback player of the year, really doesn't look like he had a 600-day injury. He looks fresh. He looks like that Andrew Luck of old. And Reich is kind of building on top of that. He said, yeah, you're the Andrew Luck of old, but I'm going to give you a running game. I'm going to give you 10 to 12 running plays. Big game. Yeah, 10 to 12 running plays a drive. Just to rest you a little bit, because we know you're great, but we're going to give you a little time. And then the defense. I mean, Darius Leonard is... Led the NFL in tackles as a rookie. Sure. He's going to be the defensive rookie of the year. Pretty handily. It's, sure, Derwin James is up there. Leighton Van Der Esch. Leighton Van Der Esch is up there. There's but some I, really nice young defensive players. Darius but Leonard it, leads probably the league tackles. Darius Leonard might be the most impactful defensive player besides those big two of Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack. He might be the next Ouch. most important one. I like I like Fletcher Cox. Give me some Fletcher Cox love. Fair. Uh, but I think what he's able to do is incredible. He follows yeah. running backs. He follows wide receivers. He follows tight ends step for step. And those three pl- people, along with a little bit of the running game, I think are enough to beat Patrick Mahomes. I said when we made our picks that I really want to pick the Colts, but it just sounds crazy to say it. Mm-hmm. So that I picked the Chiefs. Is yeah, tough too. It sounds weird. But they have more than enough tools to beat the Kansas City Chiefs at home. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. First question to you, sure. Brandon, before we start delving into these teams. Of the eight current quarterbacks, this has been a summary of all. Who are your top five quarterbacks? This is not a whose team is the best based on their quarterback play, because that's a very big thing for Tom Brady. Tom Brady would be the top of my list if that was the question. But we're asking the top five quarterbacks currently in the playoffs. For me to, like, win a game tomorrow. Right. Okay. And this is just that quarterback. Like, right. put just him on another team level. and how it's going to happen. I'm starting a team with one of these guys for right. a game tomorrow. Because if it, if it was the same team, it would be a different list. Sure. I'll go with Patrick Mahomes, number one. I think he'll be the MVP this season. I'll go with Tom Brady, number two. He gets still gets the GOAT respect. He probably hasn't had as great a season as Mahomes or Philip Rivers, but I'll take Tom Brady. He, he's still talented enough. 
Philip Rivers would probably be my third. Andrew Luck would be my fourth, maybe my third. So I think I'll go Mahomes, Brady, Rivers, Luck. Oh, I forgot about Drew Brees. I was going to say, you kind of missed some. I forgot about Drew Brees. I'll go with Mahomes, Brees, Brady, River. I'm I'm torn between Rivers and Luck. I go with Mahomes, Brees, Brady's, I think Luck, Rivers, Nick Foles, honorable mention. I have Luck at one. Andrew Luck is playing out of his mind right now, and I don't think there's any other quarterback who I'd rather have over him. Luck at one, Breeze at two, I think Breeze should be the MVP. Mahomes at three, the person who should probably be MVP. Brady at four. Just some respect. Just because to <laughs> uh-huh. leave him off the top five quarterbacks is just feels ridiculous. Crazy. And I don't know if I would be against putting Nick Foles at five. To win a game, I mean, the dude's got Yeah, he can win football stones. games. I'll put Goff at five over Rivers because I think Goff will be able to handle himself better. I think Rivers is a very reliant quarterback, and he's been a reliance quarterback all of his years, whether it have been Antonio Gates, LT, Keenan Allen, Melvin Gordon. He's very reliant on them. He's not like a Jared Goff who can make something work, or even a Nick Foles who doesn't need to be reliant on a certain player or a certain scheme to make it work. He can do it. So I'd probably go Luck, Breeze, Mahomes, Brady, Foles. And I think that's the question coming into this weekend with Phil Rivers is can he be more than just that consistently good quarterback? He's always been a quarterback where if there's enough talent on his team – they won't do worse than ten and six. If, and if it's like a playoff talent, extreme talent, right? But in this matchup, going up against the Patriots this weekend in Foxborough, he has to have a put the team on my back. I'm going to go throw for three fifty plus, almost play a perfect game and win. Right. Like to to beat the Patriots in the playoffs in Foxborough, you can't just be solid. It's the hardest thing. You have, right you have to go put the team on your back, and that's something that we haven't seen Phil Rivers do before. We've only seen him in one conference championship game. Right. We've never seen him further than that. This is maybe the best team he's been on, taking the talent of the yeah. whole team, taking what they have defensively. defensively. Sure, they don't have LT and Gates. They still have Keenan Allen, though, who's a huge They still weapon. have Gates. They, yeah. <laughs> he's still there. He's, he's still, still catching he still footballs. Plays. Um, can he rise to that level this weekend? There was a list of the— uh, Colin Coward is the top ten players of each matchup, and he did this matchup. And there were only three pa- there was three Patriots and seven Chargers. Yeah, the three Patriots were Brady, Gilmore, McCourty. That was it. Mm-hmm. And then everything else, Rivers was at two, and then all the other players were Chargers. This is, I think you put it best. Philip Rivers needs three fifty and a perfect game. Without that, they'll figure it out. Right, and it's the from the Patriots' perspective, it's the question of can we still win a game where like you said, spots 20 to 52 were outmanned, but yeah. we have Tom Brady on our team. Yep. Is that still good enough to win a playoff football game? Well, I guess— You know, like, we we'll st- we don't have the talent defensively that they do, but can we still pull it out? This matchup is a little more relaxed for me because what the Chargers do best is stop big plays. They're so fast and dynamic on that defense— with Ingram and James, that it's really hard to put big plays against them. The Patriots don't do big plays. Patriots are 31st in the NFL in vertical passes. 
which is really sad to think about. And even but with their, Josh Gordon gone. Their new formula the last couple of weeks has been grinded out. Yep. 10-plus play drives, Sony Michelle, James White. We're getting the ball out of Brady's hand quick, power formation. Yep. They've gone back to that. So, and then when you need yeah. a third and seven, you're confident that you have Gronkowski, you have Edelman, you can get the seven yards. So I don't think this is actually going to be a close matchup, which is kind of sad because it's an awful year to be Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers because you just need to run into these guys all the time. I don't think this matchup is going to be close at all because of just how well the Patriots counter the Chargers. Let's now get to the six versus the one, the Colts versus the Chiefs. We talked about Indianapolis earlier on the show and their big win over Houston, the most convincing win of the four games last weekend. But now they get one of the biggest tests. They go to the Arrowhead Stadium to face off against the number one seeded Kansas City Chiefs. We all know about the offensive fireworks that the Kansas City Chiefs are capable of between Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Defensively, though, this team can be exposed. They're one of the worst, if not the worst, defense in the playoff tournament remaining. What can Indianapolis do to pull off this game? What's the game plan for Frank Reich and Andrew Luck? Keep Patrick Mahomes off the football field. Why the Chiefs are so good with a bad defense is because Patrick Mahomes is on the field enough and scores enough that it doesn't even matter. And I said that on the show last week. But if the Colts, with their run game, can keep Patrick Mahomes off the field for five, four minutes per drive just to keep him off the field, that's it. There's your win formula right there. How do you try to match up against the Chiefs' offense when Mahomes is on the field? What do you do defensively? What's your point of emphasis against them and maybe which of the targets do you put most emphasis on trying to take away if you will on how to stop Patrick Mahomes's offense the Chiefs yes you to slow it down I would say you're not going to stop right you'd probably go all out on Tyree Kill on Sammy Watkins if he's healthy to sharp stop the wide receiver core it's kind of like the Eagles and the Patriots that you know the tight end is going to burn you. You know Zach Ertz is going to catch footballs and go for first downs. You know that's what Gronk's going to body you and score. It's the same with Travis Kelsey. You know he's going to catch the ball and score. So you need to think of the vertical threat. The Chiefs have five games of 40-plus points. It's kind of redundant to say, but if they score 40-plus points, they're going to win the football game. You need to take the vertical threat out of the way. Their running game is not as good as it was with Kareem Hunt, but that, uh, yeah, anyway, not, don't need to go into that. Uh... Key in on the wide receivers. Keep them out. Make Patrick Mahomes do those magical plays, but make him do it. Make it normal. Make it every play. Is there any leftover concern about the Chiefs based off their playoff history? This has been a team the last couple of years that everybody, despite them being 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, writes off because we haven't seen them advance past a game or two in the playoffs. Are there any concerns about them getting over that hump, or is it simply going to be, can they beat this team this weekend? Like, will they show up to full capacity? And is the question just whether the Colts can be better than them on, on I guess, is this a Saturday game, Sunday game? Um, or, you know, could they still kind of not show up all the way? And I wouldn't say give the Colts a win, but make it easier on the Colts based on kind of seeing that in the past. I think it's going to be a bad game for the Chiefs. I don't think they're going to have a great game plan. And it is the battle of... The number ones. It's the number one scoring offense in the NFL since week seven. And, well, they've been in it for the entire season. And the number one stingiest defense since week seven in the NFL with the Colts. I think it's going to be the battle of the bests. And I think the Chiefs are going to just have to do enough. This is a do enough type game for both teams. You don't need to stomp them 
It's not like Texans, Colts, where you need to do close. it. You just got to do enough to get the win. Let's go to Cowboys-Rams. That's the four-seeded Dallas Cowboys and the two-seeded Los Angeles Rams. The Cowboys, of course, defeating the Seattle Seahawks last week, 24-22. to That was at home. Now they travel out to L.A. to take on the Rams. Can the Cowboys do it again? Can they pull off what would definitely be considered an upset this time and knock off the Sean McVay, the Jared Goff, the Todd Gurley-led Los Angeles Rams? I think it's an easier matchup than the Seahawks. I think that with Russell Wilson and with that running game, I think Russell Wilson has that extra level, extra two levels, extra three levels that that Jared Goff doesn't. That's still what gets me about the last game, though, is I don't think Seattle let him explore that. Yeah. And I I agree with you. We haven't seen that yet from Jared Goff, the takeover game type drive. But he also doesn't have to, which is the great thing. That's why we haven't seen it, because he simply hasn't been forced into that situation. They stay ahead of the sticks, if you will. They've been playing from the lead more often than not this season. And they are a team that is comfortable, like the Seahawks, with running from behind. Down a touchdown, down 10 points. They are still comfortable if it's in the second to third quarter with running the football. And rightfully so. They have the best rusher in football and one of the best pass catchers out of the backfield in football. But the big big to-do for me, and I said that these are two identical teams going against each other, is that matchup. Is Todd Gurley against this Dallas defense going to be able to work? In my mind, it's yes. I think Wentworth and that uh, Ram offensive line is good enough to give Todd Gurley the smidge that he needs. And fun fact for you, Todd Gurley is the best runner in open space. There's no one else that when he gets five yards of separation from the offensive and defensive lines with no one else there, he's the best runner in football. So if you can give him that, if the Rams wide receivers can do enough to spread the field to open it with uh, free safeties and corners need to push themselves away, and Todd Gurley gets into the open field, there it is. There's your recipe for victory. If that doesn't happen, though, let's say the Rams running attack is slowed down by Dallas, who has just looked up the DVOA numbers for running defense, and they are ranked fifth in the NFL, and of teams remaining in the playoffs, they're third. The Saints, Colts are ahead of them. So Dallas has, as we mentioned, they've got a great front seven, and we saw that last week. They shut down the Seahawks' running attack. If the Rams' running attack gets slowed, how, I guess at what point does that part of their offense get abandoned? At what point do you put the the game in the hands of Jared Goff and try to you know change a little bit of what you do and break tendency but challenge the Dallas secondary, which is the weakest point of their defense. It's still not bad, but it's the weakest point of their defense. If Gurley is shut down early in the game, do you stay with it all the way through and live and die by that? Or at some point in the game, do you go off of that a little bit? I would stay with it um, with a light or with a tight leash on it because the difference between the Seahawks staying with it and the Rams staying with it is Chris Carson, Mike Davis, Rashad Penny, great. Russell Wilson with his legs, great. They are no Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley is the best rusher in football, so you can stick with it more. But you also need to realize that Woods, well, not Cooper Cup anymore, but Woods and Cooks are more than capable of putting out an offensive weapon and an offensive firepower. So I think that the Rams will be okay with sticking with Gurley later into the game because they know that should push comes to shove, and Gurley as a receiver too. 
they can switch the receiver game faster than like the the Seattle Seahawks can or even the Dallas Cowboys can. On the other side of this matchup, looking at Dallas's offense against the Rams' defense, what does LA try to do to slow down Ezekiel Elliott? We know that they have Aaron Donald, 20 and a half sacks this season, but they have been more susceptible to the run than they probably would have liked to coming in with Sue and Dante Fowler and all these other guys defensively. They haven't been a great front seven. What do they try to do against Ezekiel Elliott? Because that undoubtedly has to be your focus, right, when you go up against the Cowboys offense. Which is what the Seahawks didn't do, and that's why they lost. The simple answer is always stick your free man in the box. Always stick your free safety. Yeah. Always I'm playing stick your one high safety, and yep. if Dak Prescott beats me, sure, so be it. We lost. That's great. I don't think he will. Go one high safety in a zone, mm-hmm. run a 2-3, and tell your men to guard tight. Play Amari Cooper tight. Right. My, high, Cooper my high safety, I'm not going to disguise it. He's shaded towards Amari Cooper. Yeah. If Michael Gallup from Cole Dak Beasley. Prescott beats me, we lost the football game. I will live with that over Ezekiel Elliott running for 150 yards on the outside zone against me. You're also going to watch the Rams blitz package, which Sean McVay has always been um, known to not go deep into. He's a very Same basic with, defender. Yeah, like Wade Phillips yeah. has always just been, we're going to have defender. our front four beat you one-on-one yep. and sit back. They're going to send blitzes. They're going to try and mix up Rattle that press Dak. Dak's not the best defensive mind he's not a tom brady yeah, he's the or worst Drew quarterback Brees. left in, this, in right. this tournament he's not great at looking at a defense and just like peyton manning used to do with it like, right. or cam Newton i'm gonna does i now. know i know where the pressure is coming from i know exactly which one of my guys is going to be open i'm yeah. going to throw it in one and a half seconds so there's your ram solution to stopping zeke make zach make dak prescott confused put your free safety on the amari <laughs> cooper side and shove everyone else in the box last matchup of the weekend is the Eagles against the Saints. It's a rematch. The Saints beat the Eagles 48-7 to the first time around, but the biggest difference between the Eagles between then and now is the quarterback. Nick Foles under center for the last four games. The Eagles are undefeated in the game against the Saints. Carson Wentz threw three interceptions. He had the lowest passer rating in any game of his two-and-a-half-year career. Things have changed. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but obviously the Saints are the heavy favorites in this one. Let's talk Eagles offense versus Saints defense, where they probably have an easier matchup than you would look at the other side of the football. Eagles offensively, what do they have to do against the Saints? What do the Eagles need to do offensively against the Saints? I'll give you a couple things. Tell me which of these is the most important. I'm going to say Zach I'll give you three things. I was going to say, feed Alshon Jeffrey, who had a huge game last week against the Bears. Zach Ertz over the middle and establish the run. And to me, I put them probably in that order, but really Ertz and Jeffrey are 1A, 1B. They're getting the football. They're getting targets. If we have to abandon the run in this game and put it on Nick Foles, we have to abandon the run in this game and put it on Nick Foles. Yeah, I think Zach Ertz is going to be the best player and the most important player from both teams, from both sides of the ball this entire game. Because the Saints' rush is good. Yeah, Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan's good enough. Uh, And this... Eagles defensive offensive line has always had that question offensive mark around them. Offensive line has gotten a lot better the, right. the last couple of weeks. They did a very nice job against With the Chicago Kalomack. Bears. They took Kalomak very well. The thing that I would say is they're going to go to Zach Ertz, and you know they're going to go to Zach Ertz. Make sure his yards after contact, which is what he does well, what Golden Tate does well, what Alshon Jeffrey actually does well, make sure that doesn't beat you. 
Let him catch it, tackle him there one or two yards after the catch. What punishes— From the Saints' perspective. From the Saints' perspective. What punishes teams is this yards after contact. Another thing to stop Nick Foles is to just play steady defense. You don't need to be flashy against Nick Foles. Nick Foles is not a quarterback that's going to shy under flashy plays like Dak Prescott will. Foles is Nick Foles. You get what you get out of him. He's not going to call out your blitz package right off the bat. He's just going to play football. Don't get fancy with him. Stay safe. Stay steady on the defensive end. On the other side of this, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, they give any team a handful. This Eagles defense is better than where it was a couple weeks ago when they played midseason. In that game, all of their defensive backs got hurt, and they're playing Devontae Bowsby and Shandon Sullivan at corner. Those two guys are no longer on the team. Sullivan's on the practice squad. Bowsby is out here on the street with us. They're better in the secondary. They're not great, though. And this Saints team has carved up most of their opponents this year. They slowed down a bit offensively at the end of the season. But is there hope for the Eagles' defense? And if so, what do they have to do against the Saints? Stop AP first team all pro Michael Thomas. Kamara, it's, it, I feel like this is a narrative for a lot of teams where they have one part where you just know you're going to lose to. Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, you probably know that they're going to do well against you. The Eagles probably have a better shot than most teams for stopping them because they are both quick and strong yeah. off the block. Well, and when you talk about Kamara out of the backfield, yeah, look at what Malcolm Jenkins did to Tariq Cohen right. last weekend. He had four touches offensively, and he was by far their best weapon for the Bears all season. Their Eagles are quick and strong in that defensive set, but you need to stop Michael Thomas. If you lose, kind of like the Cowboys, if you lose to Traquan Smith going over the top. Who had a huge game against the Eagles the first time. If you lose you. to Traquan Smith, so be it. We lost to you Trey lost Quan to Traquan yeah. Smith. Do not lose to Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Keep Michael Thomas. Stick your free safety on Michael Thomas. I wouldn't be surprised if they double him in the second half if the game's close. Stick an extra man on him, kind of like they did with Antonio Brown last year. And there's your situation to win. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. News we talked about last week was Jared Ambrose being named the offensive coordinator in the wake of Matt Simon's exit for this Delaware team that crumbled offensively in the last few weeks of the season. In a few moments, we'll talk about one of their opponents for next season, the North Dakota State Bison, who won their seventh consecutive, excuse me, seventh in eight years, seventh uh, national championship in the past eight seasons. But first, we'll talk. FBS National Championship, and actually, to me, a very surprising result. The number two-seeded Clemson Tigers taking down Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide 44-16 to win the FBS National Championship and to become the first team ever to go 15-0 and in a season. Jake, what was surprising about this game wasn't that Clemson won, but that they absolutely dominated this game basically from start to finish. The cool thing about this whole game is that you don't see blowouts against Alabama. You almost never see blowouts from Alabama. On the last person to beat Alabama by 16-plus points was Nick Saban when he was at LSU. He was the last person <laughs> to beat Alabama by 16-plus And what plus was the points. stat? Like, Nick Saban hasn't lost a game like this since he was at Miami, yeah. the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. He, it was so <laughs> weird that you kind of just rubbed your eyes and you're like, is this real? Am I actually watching the national championship game? No discount to Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is Right, we'll talk about how good, good this Clemson team was. But for Tua to throw two of the worst interceptions I've ever seen with my own two eyes, 
awful reads, awful throws, given good defensive plays by Clemson, but just terrible throws. It was weird. That's, all, that's the word I'm saying. It was a weird thing to try and watch this team get beat that bad. I agree with that. I was expecting a very close, down-to-the-wire type game that we basically have come to expect in this series. This was the fourth Clemson versus Alabama game in a row. The first two were in the national championship, and the two teams split them. You'll remember that play. Deshaun Watson rolling out, finds Hunter Renfro. That was the Clemson win in year two, in year one. Alabama won the next year. And then they met up last year in the semifinal game. Alabama won that one and went on to win the national championship against Georgia with Tua coming in at halftime and making that huge comeback run for the Crimson Tide. Nothing of the sort in this one. Clemson got out early, and Trevor Lawrence looked like the best quarterback, not only in this game, but maybe like in the country. Is that too crazy to say? No. 347 passing yards, three touchdowns. 27 yards on the ground, true freshman, Trevor Lawrence. The statement that Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback, no. The best freshman, sure. Best quarterback, I'm not saying maybe. he was over the course of the season. I'm just that saying, day in particular. I'm just saying this game was one of the single most impressive quarterback games of anybody. Tua, Kyler Murray, you name it. This was one of, if not the best quarterback game of the season. He was almost in the... Discussion, there's only been like eight or nine quarterbacks that have thrown for 350 yards in a national championship game. He was almost on that list. He had three yards shy of 350. This, he's a, he has three more years. His con- contract or whatever the rules of the NCAA, he has three more years. He won't enter the draft until 2021, the season of 2021. I wouldn't think any team would have a better quarterback than Clemson for these next upcoming years. He's great. Few people were saying he's the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Meh, I don't know if I would dive that far into it, but he was great. The offense has young guns left and right. I mean, the catch by— Let's talk about Justin Ross. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Justin Ross. I don't really know how to explain it. He is running, I guess it would be left to right across the field toward the sideline. But the throw is to his back shoulder right. toward the defender. It somehow grazes over the defender, and he comes back and one-hands it with the right hand, gets one foot down. The other foot was almost down, too. Almost an NFL catch. He had what was the other? He had another one that wasn't quite as crazy, but he was still went, nasty. The one where he went just over the shoulder, he just kind of took a defensive back and not really mossed him, but just beat him. That's all yeah. it is. Just a grown man beating another, beat another guy. I mean, to me, he looks like... Alshon Jeffrey, but with speed. He looks NFL ready. Yeah, and he's a true freshman. This is a guy who, as I mentioned a lot on the broadcast, is from Alabama. Everybody expected him to go to Alabama, as pretty much every number one prospect does, but he decided to go to Clemson. And now, not only did he light them up for six catches, 153 receiving yards, and a touchdown in the national championship, but they get to see him for three more years on this team. Him? ACC's leading rusher and their leading receiver, um, Higgins, who wasn't even right. super important that game. Right. Quiet game with 81 receiving yards, three catches, and a touchdown. He wasn't even <laughs> the best receiver that game. They're all coming back. They're all be here next year. I'd pick Clemson. I'm sure everyone else is picking Clemson for next year. Yeah, and Alabama, to their credit, has a lot of their team coming back, and they have the number one recruiting class. So if Clemson is number one, in the way to early top 25, Alabama's probably number two. 
Yeah. Tua will be a junior. Najee Harris comes back to be the lead running back. They do lose Damian Harris and Jacobs, Judy. This team still has talent, too. That on defense, obviously, they're going to lose Quentin Williams. He'll be a top-five pick, maybe number one overall. Deontay Thompson, the safety, who I thought had a pretty bad game, is expected to be a first-round pick, maybe the first safety off the board this spring. They lose some NFL talent, but Alabama, as they always will be, and seem you know, seems like it'll never stop. They'll be among the best in the country, too. But it seems on paper like it's going to be tough to catch this Clemson Tigers team moving forward. Yeah, when the way-too-early predictions came out, Clemson was number one, Alabama number two. And then right behind them, which I thought was really interesting, was Georgia. The Bulldogs at number three, who lose perhaps the most players of any other team. They have seven or eight guys getting ready to get drafted. They're losing pretty much their entire defensive line. Their entire wide receiver core, they have four wide receivers heading into the draft, a tight end and a running back. So their offense is done. And then fourth on that list after Georgia is Ohio State. And they, they are the probably won't even have a quarterback. Well, they no, they get they got the, the, the one, one kid. Yeah, the, if he, I mean, if he follows the the Trevor Lawrence route, these guys getting to play earlier and earlier in their careers, you know, that's it's more risky, I guess, than already having Dwayne Haskins there or whatnot. But they did get uh, what's this, Jake Fromm? It's not Jake Fromm. What's this, the guy's um, first name? Something from it, it, the number one quarterback recruit out of high school in many people's eyes, decommitted and just recently committed to Ohio State. And obviously that team was marred by the whole Urban Meyer situation and a really terrible thing to happen in a football organization. But he has retired. They move on to Ryan Day now as their head coach. So it seems that those issues, if they were addressed properly at the time, will be put past behind them and that they'll move forward and continue to be one of the better teams in the country. You wrote in the doc uh, when we were looking at the rundown is is – like uh, you said it for North Dakota, I'm bringing it up here. Yeah, it still applies. <laughs> Clemson's probably in dynasty territory. Three or two out of the last three years, they've been national champions, taking down Saban teams. I think it's pretty safe to say one more win in the next three years would put them in dynasty territory. Yeah. I would say, yeah, if Trevor Lawrence wins two national championships in four years, plus the one they won with Deshaun Watson a couple years ago, that's borderline. If he can win three in four years, I give him one year to maybe get upset or to lose to Alabama in the national championship. If he gets three in four years, and let's say they make it to the playoffs in all four years, that's a dynasty, and I don't think you could debate it. Alabama obviously already is yeah, with Saban and all that. Yeah, they're if not the best, one of the best college football dynasties we've seen. But Clemson has certainly taken that model and run with it. And now, not only could they be dynastic in nature, but they could be like I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if the talent that they have returning continues on the same trajectory, and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross, these guys were talking about. They continue to build continuity and rapport together. They could be even better in a single season than Alabama. Maybe not in terms of the dynasty, but they could have one of the better scoring differentials across the season that we've ever seen. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. As promised before the break, we'll get into the North Dakota State Bison winning the 
FCS National Championship, defeating the Eastern Washington Eagles 38-24. It is North Dakota State's second consecutive national championship and their seventh in the past eight seasons. Quarterback Easton Stick finishes career with, if not the best winning percentage of any starting quarterback in FCS history, one of. I think he lost three games across his four-year career, won three national championships as a starting quarterback. Pretty darn good for the North Dakota State Bison, who we saw earlier this season defeat the Blue Hens 38-10, to and who we will see this season in Newark. The uh, North Dakota State trophy case, I don't know if you read that story, they filled up the trophy case with their seventh trophy, and it broke. The entire trophy case Sounds about broke right. because there were seven trophies on the shelf. <laughs> what, a, what a great problem to have, that you need maintenance on your trophy right. case because it can't I hope holds. they can find some donor to get them a nice new trophy yeah, case. Yeah, sounds, that sounds like a really <laughs> rough problem, and my thoughts and prayers are out to you, North Dakota State and the Fargo Dome, to hope you can figure out that problem. We were just talking in the break trying to find a good list of sports dynasties, and I'm clicking through links, and my test is do they have North Dakota State on their list? None of mine do. I don't know if you found one that does, but a I've few not. of mine have three-year dynasties, four-year dynasties. Try a eight-year dynasty, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, the year that they didn't make it to the Was national championship. In yeah, they went to the semifinals. Yeah. They were a game away, and they lost to James Madison, who, as we know, Was not ridiculous. a slouch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's great to know that we lost to the national champion. Makes you feel a little bit better yeah. about losing by 28 There's points. There's two sides. You either lose to the national champion or you lose to a team that gets eliminated in the first round. You never want to lose to a team that gets like mildly far. And Delaware did both. Yep. <laughs> Delaware lost to not only a national championship team in the regular season, but a team that did meh in the playoffs. Right. They lost to JMU. JMU loses the next week against Colgate. Yep. That's kind of just like a, wow, that really stinks. They lost to Stony Brook. Stony Brook lost in round one. Yikes. Uh, it's a dynasty. It's great what Easton Stick was able to do for that team, for that entire organization, and for North Dakota State to put out not one but two NFL quarterbacks. I think Easton Stick will make his way into the NFL and get a pretty secure backup job on one or two teams because of his, his talent, both a runner and a passer. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities for him. Yeah, I think he, you, you said it exactly right. I think he'll get a low, mid to low round draft pick and he'll get an opportunity to catch one as a backup quarterback. Right now, according to Walter Football, he's projected for the fifth to seventh round. I'd probably put him closer to fifth or sixth. I think he will get drafted securely. He's not huge. He's 6'2", 221, so he's not quite as big as Carson Wentz. Doesn't have quite the arm that he did. But they also didn't ask him to pass a lot because they were so successful with the power run game, which allowed them to control the ball. Plus, he gave them the element of the read option game, which they probably didn't have quite as much with Carson Wentz. So they didn't have to throw the ball downfield. Maybe he would have been capable of doing that, probably, I would say, at this level. I think he gets a shot, and and he's one of a few North Dakota State Bison now who will get a chance. They do lose their head coach, Chris Kleiman. He got the head coaching job with Kansas State, so they once again elevated a coordinator from within. That's the second time they've had to do it over the course of this dynasty. 
But, Jake, I don't anticipate anything changing. They've established themselves as the best team in the FCS, and as such, they're able to pull some guys who would otherwise be FBS recruits. But you think, okay, would I rather play at a mid- to low-level FBS program or win national championships with this loaded team, North Dakota State? That still gets me a chance to get looks from the NFL. There's a funny thing that when you Google NDSU and scroll through all of that, one of the links in the bottom is like a a fill-in question of, what is North Dakota State known for? And Brandon and I know when we we flew in there, there were cornfields, open patches, and North Dakota State University football. And when you click the little arrow for what is North Dakota State University known for, the first link, the head page of Bison football. So football is a... Uh, the only no, I'm gonna say not gonna say the only thing. I, but didn't, it's like I don't know one enough of about a, it, but yeah. it's the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would I assume that North Dakota State will be back there? Yes. It has the Alabama effect where they lose great players, but they're also going to get great players because people want to go there. Right. They don't have that kind of uh, vibe that they are in desperate need because people are just going to get there anyway. Uh, if I had to make a downfall to them. It will be how well Easton Stick fit into that offense because as dynamic as he was, he was even better with the weapons he was given. There were the the pair of wide receivers. I don't remember their names when we called it, but when when we read down the stat sheet, their numbers were incredible and just what he was able to do with them. So what I think the team regresses, sure. I think anyone losing a great quarterback like that. Yeah. (laughs) Will they regress to 14 and 1? Sure. But would they not be national champions? At least in the running, they'll yeah. they'll they'll put them. They'll be semifinals, I'd say, confidently, and then from there, you just got to beat a good team or two, and and doing so at home too. Yep. Until the national championship game, where it's played on a neutral site, they have a pretty good advantage. I looked up earlier today the Sagren rating just to kind of see where they would fall among FBS teams, and the rating pulls together strength of schedule, point differential, that sort of thing, to come up with a score for each team season, basically, and compare it against each other. No surprise, for instance, Clemson's one, Alabama's two. Top 20 at 18 was North Dakota State. Their strength of schedule, obviously, is what everybody would point to. It was well above 100, and all of the teams ahead of them were at least like 75 and down. But when you're 15-0 and and you beat teams to the degree that they did and to prove that you're significantly better than them and significantly better than the competition, even in the national championship, you win by 14 points, it gets you some love. It gets you some respect. And it would be interesting to see what they would do at the FBS level. And that's one of the questions everybody keeps bringing up is, okay, 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 you've won seven of eight. You've made your point. Is this a team that eventually puts their hat in the ring to the FBS level? And I would probably say no. I would probably say You've established yourself as a dynasty here. Like we were saying, you're getting talented recruits in year after year. Why not continue to win national championships at this level? Nothing wrong with winning. It's you, fun. Yeah. <laughs> let, win more national championships, bring a new trophy case in. If they moved into this top-tier level, ranking 18th and everything, strength of schedule is not the one thing I'd point to because you kind of said it. You just beat the teams on your schedule, and you beat them well. I mean, beating teams by 21 points regularly, 27 points, 28 points regularly. Proves you're pretty darn Yeah, you do what you need to do. Those are the teams on your schedule, and you play them. I'm interested to see how, when they come to Delaware next year, what it's going to be. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What do you expect? Do Blue Ends give them any more of a fight, being at home, first out there in the Fargo Dome? I don't think location matters. I would (laughs) be 
very surprised. When we were in North Dakota State, I would say it was 95% North Dakota State, 5% yeah, Delaware. Yeah, like a few people traveling out. I would not be surprised if it is They'll 60% Delaware, yeah. 40% North Dakota State for this game, which would be great. It would be, be a fun. great atmosphere. Fill up the stadium a bit. Um, but with the losses that Delaware is going to be sustaining, especially on the defensive end, it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as we said, dynasty, no Easy. doubt. Yep. Um, where they can pair against the others, it's tough to say. Obviously, you got to look at the longevity, how dominant they were, and so forth. It depends really on what you value in looking at teams of dynastic nature, whether it's this current Golden State Warriors team or the UConn women's basketball team or Alabama at the FBS level. It's tough to say which is better than the other, but no doubt that this has been quite an impressive run by North Dakota State. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast, a name that we haven't necessarily really discussed with baseball, but has been generating a lot of discussion this offseason is Kyler Murray, the quarterback who was the Heisman winner, but last spring was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's. He made a deal with the A's that he'd play this football season, his last at Oklahoma, and then join the team and join them for spring training to play baseball. But reports recently are that Kyler Murray will enter the NFL draft this spring. And he has the potential to leapfrog Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, you name it, as the top quarterback selected in this year's draft. And the most recent thing, Jake, that you brought up just over the last break is that Arizona Cardinals new head coach Cliff Kingsbury has made it known that it's a possibility they could go after Murray with the top pick and potentially move from Josh Rosen, who was selected in the first round by the Cardinals a season ago under their previous head coach, Steve Wilkes. What do you make of all of this? That would be groundbreaking to throw away a young, talented probably franchise-worthy quarterback in Josh Rosen. Throw him away for a quarterback who very well can be young, talented, and franchise-worthy in Kyler Murray. But with a lot of the Arizona Cardinals players set to return, Larry Fitzgerald, the biggest one, says he wants to play football again next year. Why do it all again? You just got a brand-new head coach. You have a quarterback who's a year into the system— why do it all again? Well, I guess the counter to that would be they've already put themselves down the road to doing it again. They fired first-year head coach Steve Wilkes and signed Cliff Kingsbury. They will have a different offense inherently just because of that. So if there's enough of a market for Josh Rosen that you could get something valuable in return but you and you can. believe Kyler Murray could be a franchise NFL quarterback— there's an argument that says you have to do that. If you think Murray gives you greater chances long-term to be a perennial playoff team, but the number one overall pick, you don't have many chances to get to that spot, to get that guy. If you think he's that guy, and you don't think Josh Rosen can be that guy, see what you can get for Josh Rosen and take Kyler Murray. You can't get anything for Josh Rosen, though. Who's gonna How do you know take- that? Who's going to trade it away? I'll give you a second-round pick for Josh Rosen. But that means you think to yourself that you can't find a quarterback for a better deal in the second round of the draft than Josh Rosen? 
Some people like Josh Rosen. I like Josh Rosen. I think Josh Rosen's great. If, but I'm, if I'm Jacksonville, gonna... I'd give you a second round pick for Josh Rosen. But if Rosen. I'm going to give away a draft, he was pick, a top ten pick a year. Ago. He was. He was, and that was a little high, I think, for Josh Rosen. But you're going to give away a draft pick for somebody who you could just get. Why put through all well, of I don't it to know draft just and draft him? Get somebody like him. Get a similar player like him, like Dwayne Haskins, like Will Greer. Are we? In, I'm not too sad if I don't get I Josh Rosen and get down Will to, Greer. It comes down to how you evaluate these guys individually. Right. How do you compare Josh Rosen's potential to these guys? And some teams will probably have all of the guys in this year's draft, or some of them ahead of where they see Josh Rosen projecting long term, and others may say. We like a lot of the quarterbacks who came out last year compared to this year, and we would love to get our hands on a Josh Rosen if he became available. I think it comes to individual teams, but from Arizona's perspective, if Kyler Murray somehow turns, flips the switch and decides he's all in on trying to play football, that guy was electric. That guy could change your franchise. And do you give up that because you came in as a first-year head coach and they drafted a quarterback last year? I don't know. I think that's an interesting conversation. If they're willing to do it, that would be pretty interesting to see them go. First-year head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, coached Patrick Mahomes, as we all know. Everybody wants to tell you that right off the bat. What could he do with Kyle Murray? For Arizona to do that, all I'm going to say is I'm really sorry, fans. If I'm the fans of the Cardinals, I just want it to stop. I just want to have the same team for a year. I have the same team for two years. I don't even care if I'm 0-16 those two years. Ah, I probably care about that. But I just want some consistency because after the next few years, Larry Fitzgerald is not going to be there for you to grab onto anymore. Like the Chicago Bears a few years ago with this Jay Cutler madness, Brian Erlacher ain't there for you to grab onto anymore. You need some sort of consistency in this organization. And if you decide it's going to be Kyler Murray and Cliff, sure. But make the trade, make the move fast, and look towards next season. If they decide they want to stick with Josh Rosen, and you're another quarterback-needy team, you're the New York Giants or the Jacksonville Jaguars, does Kyler Murray jump to number one on your board? And do you start making phone calls to the teams in the top five, all of which don't necessarily need quarterbacks, to try to get up there and draft one of those guys? No, probably not, because... Dwayne Haskins is probably the better NFL-ready player. Will Greer is probably the better NFL-ready player. I think a lot of people would say Murray over Will Greer. It's hard to just go and say yes to that, but they've done it before. I mean, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff going one and two with teams making moves to get their guy. We saw how that turned out. I mean, one of them... Is a franchise quarterback. The other's losing the starting job to franchise quarterback Nick Foles. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable, but I'm probably not confident doing it. Do Do you think we haven't talked about this, but it's been talked about all over the place? Not that I think you can fault him for either choice. If we're talking about Kyler Murray, baseball versus football, ultimately, whatever he's more passionate about doing, he should do it. But let's say you were Kyler Murray. You're a first-round pick in the MLB draft. You're a Heisman-winning quarterback as a senior at Oklahoma. What do you think you would do? Do you think you'd enter the play NFL draft? Or do you think you'd play baseball. 
Baseball, baseball is where the money is, man. Go play baseball. But is that that's what you would do? Oh, no doubt about it. I played baseball ten times out of ten. There would be no shot of me going to football. The physical damage you take from football, the if you look at trajectories of fan bases and organizations as a whole, MLB's on the up and NFL's on the down. I mean, NFL's also starting way higher on the down, but it's still on the down. It would would be a no-brainer for me that I'd go play baseball. I don't know what I would do. I see the argument for baseball. It's clear. You get money up front. Long-term earning potential is greater than it is in the NFL. No salary cap and so on. But playing quarterback, being a top 10 pick would be pretty cool. That'd be tough to like. I see how that would be tough to to turn down to go play minor league baseball and ride buses across the country, versus being Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. Their kind of daily treatment. It's it's very interesting. Undoubtedly, what we can all agree on is Kyler Murray is one of the most unique athletes we've had in quite some time, and certainly where this story has gone. From him being drafted to the A's to them letting him play football this fall under contract with them to him now saying he's going to enter the NFL draft to Cliff Kingsbury getting the Cardinals job and potentially drafting him number one overall. It's been all over the place, this story, and we'll continue to follow it surely. (laughs) 